You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. But that's just, that just really touches my heart, man, to hear you pray that way and just where it comes from, you know, from, from the depths of you. I just appreciate that so much. Um, if you're a visitor with us today, we're so happy that you're here, and um, just settle in, make yourself at home, because I know the Lord wants to speak to you, and um, you may not know us, but your Heavenly Father knows you, and uh, He has prepared a place for you today, and He's drawn you here for His purposes, and uh, He just wants to minister to you, so you just soak it up and uh, get what He has for you, amen? So, amen? Is that all right? Okay. Got to make sure I'm on the right, right place here. Um, so the kids can go to children's ministry. And I have a message to share today that is um, a little bit kind of in the flow of what, what we have been doing. We have been studying the uh, Song of Ascents. Uh, which is a series of psalms uh, in, um, in the book of Psalms, a series of psalms that they um, sang as they were going up to Jerusalem or going up to the temple. Um, God prescribed that Israel returned home. Um, oh, I didn't see you guys. Um, Aaron, <laughs> good to see you. Um, had retur- they were supposed to return back to Jerusalem, I think it was three, maybe four times a year, um, that he wanted the whole nation to gather. And as they were coming in, they would sing these songs so it was kind of like, uh, for us, sort of like holiday songs that are just like they're meaningful, for not just because of the, the uh, words of the song, but the season that they were in, the, the journey that they were on, um, the destination where they were going. It was, it was the songs of ascent are an anticipation of meeting with God and meeting with uh, people um, and a uh, great big party. Um, you remember the story about how Jesus um, got lost in the temple it was at one of those times that Jesus got lost in the temple. So they, were, they, they came from way out in the sticks. Nazareth is a, um, well, I won't name any small towns around here that it's like, but it's like, it's like small towns around here that people think, you know, is there anything good uh, there? And that's where Jesus was from. It's where he grew up. And, but he would make this trip like 60, 70, 80 miles um, on foot, um, up to Jerusalem, and as they were going, they would be singing. That's what, that's what happened when he was 12 years old, and they go up, and then they're going back home. The men in one group and the women in another group, they didn't know that uh, Jesus had been left behind. Um, and it was just a, something like that. It's part of their lifestyle. It's part of the rhythm of their lives um, that they did. And it was a way for them to remind themselves of who God was and who, what, who they were. It was like they were part of their identity. Um, so that's what we've been, we've been looking at, the, um, the Songs of Ascent. Um, and today I picked one that I feel like is in the flow of where we are because it's, um, as we're preparing ourselves for VBS, we should all be asking whether we're, we're, we're um, parents or grandparents or whether we're single and don't have any kids or whatever, is why are children so important? And, and what is this all about that we're on here? Um, and we've got such a great mix in our church of, um, of singles and married people and, and families um, with little kids and families with grown kids. Um, some people can, could probably teach this a lot better than I could, um, but I have five sons, um, and they grew up to honorable manhood, as they used to say during the Civil War, um, and uh, I can't, I can't uh, beat that. It's the most gratifying thing that I have ever accomplished in my life is to see God see us faithfully through their infancy, their childhood, their adolescence, their teenagerhood, and now into their adulthood. It's, it's one of the greatest um, blessings of mine and Becky's life um, to be able to see that. And so um, I just wanted to talk a little bit today about that, about kids and the importance of kids and, and that. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm not just talking about building your house, but I'm also talking about building anything that you're involved in, anything that God has called you to leadership of, um, this sermon applies to that. So um, we're going to be in Psalm 127, um, and uh, the, it's probably familiar to you because this um, is a pretty familiar um, passage of Scripture. 
um, unless the Lord builds a house. And I'll, I'll read it, and then we'll go back and talk about it. And I'm only using the first two verses of this, but the second part of it is all about um, how children are a heritage of the Lord, and they're like arrows in your quiver, and, uh, and things like that. And this is laying the foundation for that. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Can you guess who wrote this? Did you see it in the... Yeah, Solomon did. And, and the tip-off is um, vanity, right? Because that is one of Solomon's great themes in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and so just to kind of give you a little bit of background on Solomon, um, Solomon is, this, is the son of David and Bathsheba, um, and he is in the direct royal line to Jesus. He is, he is one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandfathers, okay? So that's who Solomon is. And if you, if you remember the story, David was like an extremely popular and extremely successful king um, had his, he had his failures, major failures, um, that the Bible is really faithful to record for us, just so we don't put anybody up on a, um, on, on a pedestal and think they're just like perfect. They're not perfect. But David is referred to over and over again as uh, a man after God's own heart. And I've said before, I think the reason why he was a man after God's own heart is not because he was perfect, but he knew how to repent. And I think that's something that God's always looking for. People that when they're wrong and when they, when they see that they're wrong, they admit it and they cast themselves before God on his mercy and they repent in a way that is a meaningful repentance. So David wasn't perfect, but he was God's man. And now Solomon is born. David wanted to build a temple for God. God said no. I mean, like, how are you going to build a temple? For, how are you going to build a house for me? And so da David didn't get to do that, but God said that Solomon would. Solomon is David's appointed successor. Solomon... And David had a lot of sons, but, but David chose Solomon. So if you'll, if you'll remember in um, 2 Kings, um, after David has passed away and Solomon has become king, he has this encounter with God. And the encounter with God is a dream that God gives him. And in the dream, God comes to him and he says, I'll give you whatever you ask. Or Actually, God says, ask of me what you will. And, and you remember the story that Solomon says he wants wisdom. But if you look at what Solomon actually says, he says, I am a child, and this people is great. The, and Israel was great on two counts. First of all, there was a bunch of them. There was a whole lot of them. Beyond number is what the Bible says at that point. But it also is a great people because they are a chosen people, because they are a, a people with a destiny before God. And Solomon is being called on to lead them in the footsteps of his father, or, or right behind his father David. And so this humbles him. And when he comes to God, and God, God says to him, I'll give you whatever you ask. You remember what Solomon says? He says, I, I want wisdom to be able to lead this people, because this is way beyond me. I'm not capable of doing that. This is the guy that wrote this. The rest of the story is, God says to him, because you have asked for wisdom, and not the death of your enemies, or riches, or power, he says, I'm going to give you riches and power along with wisdom. But God was really pleased with him that he asked for wisdom. But then God says to him, be sure and walk in my ways. Don't walk away from me. I'm going to give you all of these things. But God says to him, you, Solomon, you still have a choice to make. I'm going to give you all these advantages, but make sure that you use those advantages and walk in my way. And Solomon did not. Solomon let the riches go to his head. Solomon let his own wisdom go to his head. Solomon let his power go to his head. And it was heady stuff. Because the Bible, when, God, when he talks about Solomon, he says there was never anybody smarter than him or more wise than him. Ever before or ever after, God says, of Solomon. And as Solomon began to walk in these things, he began to get distracted. And he began to get distracted with the riches that he had. And he pursued that. And he got distracted with the wisdom and the intelligence that he had. And he pursued that. And he pursued so many other things, worldly pleasures, all of these things. And the upshot of it is that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, it's all vanity. And the word vanity there means smoke. It's all just smoke. 
Because a man is very wise, and yet he dies. A man is very rich, and yet he dies. A man is very poor, and yet he dies. And Solomon came to the end of his days, and he looked at all that he had done, and he says, it's vanity. So when this guy says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain, you better listen to him, because when he talks about vanity, he knows what he's talking about. He knows that there are a lot of things that we can pursue, and if we're not doing them in the Lord, and if we're not doing them with the Lord, and if we're not in not just partnership with Him, but in, in harmony with Him, and in cooperation with Him, then it's going to end up being just smoke. I'll tell you what, man. If there's anything that you don't want to be smoke, it's your home, it's your house. Solomon realized his inadequacy to his calling. I want to talk today about how to build a house based in the Lord. I want to talk about the, how, how we build a house based in the Lord. Um, when I first, Becky and I became Christians within months of finding out that we were pregnant for the very first time. And uh, if I tell you that I was in the same position as Solomon, um, just saying, I am a child, I'm not exaggerating. I was 22 years old, which at the time seemed kind of old. But um, the thing is, is that God gives us some awesome responsibilities when we are not capable of doing them. God gives the responsibility of raising a child to a lot of times to people who are not capable of doing it. Actually, I should say always to people who are not capable of doing it. I was raised in a good family. I thought I knew a little bit about raising kids. I saw what other people were doing and re recognized the mistakes that they were making. I was really good about that, you know, to be able to point out if I was, you know, a dad, I'd be doing this and, and all of that. And when I found out that we were pregnant, it scared me. It scared me, because this is not a job I wanted to fail at. This is not a job, there, there was nothing else that I've ever done, ever had done, or ever have done since that was more important than the responsibility that I had. And I was a very, very new believer, um, just months into it. I was on fire for God, uh, and I had that going for me. Um, but in the area of wisdom, um, I was sorely lacking um, godly wisdom. So that's the same position that I was in. I was also in that position when I went into ministry, just crying out to God, saying, God, this job is way too big for me, and it's way too important for me to fail at. I was, I was that way when, uh, in most of the major um, events of my life, found me, like Solomon, calling myself a child and not exaggerating, saying that I cannot do this, and it's too important to fail at. And I want you to know that is the best position to be in to build something with God. Here are the things that I have today, and this is not, as always, this is not an exhaustive list, um, but it's a good, I'm sorry. It's a good, um, oh, I didn't get, one slide didn't make the cut. Okay, so I'm, I've got, um, I've got three things here. Sorry, guys. We could just jump straight to the conclusion. You, you want to do that? No, I'm just kidding. How do you build a house? First of all, you admit and acknowledge your inadequacy to the job. Solomon said, I am a child. And he was 20 years old. So when you're 20, sometimes that seems like you're old and you're old enough to do, you know, what's needed to do. Have, being on this side, on the other side of 60, I can tell you that a 20-year-old, uh, let, me, let me say it this way, okay? The, some of the most destructive people in our society are young, single men. Our prisons are full of young, single men. And I'm talking about men from the ages of 16, 17 to 25, 26, and older, a little bit older than that. And that's some of the most destructive people. Why? Because they have nothing to live for except themselves. And if you've been on the, on the, um, uh, on the sharp end of that, you know how much they can hurt people and how much damage they can do. But I'll tell you what, that same guy, if he's half worth his salt, and he doesn't know that he is, he may have had some great things planted into his life, but he hasn't ever had to step up. And when he finds out that he's going to be a dad, 
hopefully there's something on the inside of him that says, life is more than just taking care of myself. I'll pause there for a minute for you to just think about that, but I'm sure all of you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing more important. When a, when a, a guy can grow up thinking about nothing but himself, and then he realizes when the door opens to what God has for him as a dad, it changes his identity, and it should change his identity permanently. And it changes the way he makes decisions. And it gives him a course to run on that excludes some things suddenly. But that course, if his heart is right, that course is all that matters to him. Pleasing God and doing a good job with the things that God has given him to do. First of all, you have to admit and acknowledge your inadequacy to the job. Solomon was, was um, admitting his inexperience. There's no way he could have had experience at the job that he was going to. And that's the thing that all of us have to admit when we, when we begin a venture. And I'm talking about building a house. I'm also talking about building a business. I'm also talking about building relationships. Building anything that you're going to be, anything that God has given you to do, that he wants you to have a part in laying a foundation and making sure that this thing is something that lasts and, that it's, um, and it, that it's successful. The first thing to admit is that you, you need help. You can't do this alone. Solomon had a real good grasp of the fact that he had a very high calling, and you should too. You should realize that it's not just a job and it's not just you know, doing it the way your parents did it, but that it's really important that you understand the, the seriousness, the holiness of the calling that God has, has put you into. He had a very high view of his calling. He knew that he needed one thing above all, and the one thing he asked for was wisdom. Wisdom, the word uh, wisdom is uh, the word Sophia, and it means insight into the true nature of things. It's not just knowing facts, but it's knowing how those facts are pertinent and how, what to do with those facts. That's what wisdom is. You can know all the facts and have no idea how to, how to put things together or what the significance of those facts is. And that's what he was asking for. He wanted to know not just the facts, but how to make these things work together. God entrusts some of his most important jobs to us when we're not qualified, and the very first step for for success is to admit it. Listen, admit it to yourself and admit it to others. You can go about your business trying to convince everybody that you know what you're doing, but you're not going to get very much help if you come across as a know-it-all. Even when they know that you don't know it, they're not going to speak up. Admit it to God. Here's, here's my theory on admitting things to God. Once I've admitted it to God, I don't care what other people think about it. That's, that's my theory on if I've really admitted it to God, then the God of the universe is in on the whole thing. I don't care what people think about it. It's fine for, the, for them to know, right? In the right situations and in the right way. It's fine for me to admit my weakness if I've admitted my weakness to God. It's not a, that's not a, um, a weakness. It's a strength to admit it. The second is to seek godly counsel. First, admit your, your need and your inadequacy for the job. Second, is to seek out godly counsel. And that's one of the things I hadn't experienced when I found out that we were expecting our first. Um, I had only been in, actually, we were actually going to a church um, that I grew up in because I didn't think I'd given it a good enough shot when I was not a believer. And once I was a believer, I'm like, I'm going to really try this, you know? And, uh, and so that's what we did, man. I poured myself into it. I, did, I went to, you know, the church when they said to go to church, and I went to their Bible studies and stuff, and uh, and when I found out, I did not understand the benefit of godly counsel, godly examples in, in the body of Christ. I had some men and women that I could look up to in some families, and I certainly looked up to my parents. Um, I thought that they did a, a really good job of parenting. Not perfect, but I felt like that they did. But I did, other than that, I didn't have the breadth of influence that I have in the body of Christ. When you've seen people that have been doing it for years... They have something that they can give, and that strength can become your strength. Mark Twain said, good judgment is the result of experience, and experience is the result of bad judgment, right? And this shortcuts that. 
You could spend your whole life learning lessons the hard way, or you could seek the counsel, godly counsel, seek the wisdom of God, and avoid a lot of those mistakes before you ever make those mistakes. There's, there's three ways to do that. The first is to, um, to spend time in the Word. Let the word Become a student of the Word. There are places in the Bible that talk about starting things and building things that are very straightforward and clear. Listen, I understand there's some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. It'll take you a lifetime to understand some of it, and some of it you'll probably never get. But there's a lot in there that would be hard to misunderstand. Some straightforward things that God says about building your house and building your home and the roles of men and women. See? You're not going to get that from this latest self-help book. Because it's godly wisdom and it's eternal wisdom and it's the, God, it's the God who made us that's talking about the way that we are and the way that He wants us to be. The way that men and women relate to each other. The Bible has a lot to say in, about that. And it's not, it may seem old-fashioned, but it's not old-fashioned. It is the wisdom of God. He said, this is the way that I have made you. Now, and don't... Um, uh, don't let the fact that we have messed that up so badly trip you up. That doesn't mean that it's not wisdom. It just means that a lot of people have misapplied it in ungodly ways. So you spend time in the Word, and you seek godly counsel, and then you seek what we used to call, I still call it, seek the face of God. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I say seek the face of God? And I see some heads that are shaking, because when I say that, man, it just... It just resonates in my heart. It's not just prayer. Even though pray, it's, it's a form of prayer that is a, a um, uh, it's an energetic decision that I make that I am going to find Him. I'm going I'm to seek, I want to hear from Him. Some people say they've never heard God speak. If you're listening with your ear, you're probably not going to hear Him because these things mess us up all the time. Even when somebody is speaking to you in a language that you understand, you still don't hear it. But if you're seeking God with this, you, you have much more of an advantage. He, speaks, he skips these and speaks directly to this. About who you are and what He's called you to do and, and, and what His purpose is in your life. And listen, He'll talk about Himself and He'll also talk about you. So you seek, speak, seek the wisdom of God in the Word of God, in the Bible, but you also seek the wisdom of God face to face. There's two different ways that God speaks to us. One is He uses all of the revealed Word of God. We call that Logos, or in, in East Texas we call it Logos. Okay, So it's like everything that's been revealed up until this time, and that includes all of this, all the things that God has revealed before that. And then there's the Rhema Word of God. That's the preceding Word of God. And those two things are not in conflict with each other. God doesn't say one thing today and then turn around and say tomorrow, oh, all of that stuff about covetousness, forget that. And, you know, when, if you're living in this culture, man, you know, the, God doesn't do that. He doesn't change his mind. So the preceding word is going to be in um, agreement with the revealed word, but it's personal. It's personal. It's like God is speaking directly to you. This is not crazy stuff, guys. This is the way that God has designed it with His Holy Spirit. He has, he has designed it for us to have a living, walking relationship with Him that involves study, but it also involves listening and presence. The presence of the Lord. If you want to build something that's going to last, you need those two things in your life. You need the revealed Word of God and study, and you also need the, the um, proceeding Word of God speaking into, our, into your life. And then the third thing that you do is to seek godly counsel. Um, there's a story in the Bible, I don't know if, uh, if you've read, but if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you'll run across this story. It's a really interesting story. Um, it's an alliance between two kings. Ahab is one of them. And if you know anything about Ahab, and when I say Ahab, you know who Ahab was married to? Huh? Jezebel. Jezebel, right. So, and I would like to say nobody names their kid Jezebel, but there are people that do, right? But it's, if it's, that's not a character in the Bible you want to, you know, emulate. Um, and Ahab was just as bad. He was just like the counterpart to her. 
Anyway, he had an alliance. He was the king of, um, of Judah, uh, Israel, I think, and, and then there was the king of Judah, and he made an alliance with him to go to war. Do you remember this story? And so the, the king of, um, of Judah, he was a man that really loved God and was, had the fear of the Lord, unlike Ahab. Um, he said, I've got to hear from a prophet. I'm not going to just go to war unless I hear from a prophet. And um, so he, he seeks the, the counsel of the prophet. And uh, Ahab says this. He says, oh, that guy never prophesies anything good for me. Do you hear something in that? Do you maybe hear the way that we are about things? I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear that. He never says anything good. And so, the, the re- I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but the rest of the story is that um, the, uh, the prophet actually comes. All the prophets come and prophesy, and all the prophets are saying, yeah, go up. God has surely given you, you know, the victory. And this one prophet that Ahab didn't want to hear from, he comes up and he says, yeah, go up. And Ahab says, how many times do I have to tell you to tell me the truth? Just tell, don't just tell me what I want to hear. And the guy says, you're going to die. You're not going to, this is not going to be a good thing. <clears throat> One of the most difficult things for a leader to do is to lose that place, that sense of inadequacy. One of the most difficult things for a leader to do to kind of get in his rhythm and begin to think, I got this under control, I know what I'm doing. Listen to me, especially really successful leaders. Really successful leaders begin to trust their own counsel. They begin to think that they know what's going on. And they begin to marginalize those voices that are dissenting voices. Stop, they, they surround themselves with people that agree with them. And not just leaders now, people do this. People like to be around people that agree with them. But you see how that can become a bubble. And you can be actually functioning in something that is not the real world. Whether you're a father or a mother, a business owner, a department head, a pastor, or a congressman, one of the hardest things to do is solicit opinions that are contrary to your own. It's not easy to lead people, even under the most ideal circumstances, but it's really difficult when they don't agree with you. When they know or they think they know more than you. When they don't see things the way that you do. Some, some leaders think that uh, dissenting opinions need to be silenced. or marginalized, or discredited. As if the peace that results is desirable. But often for a leader, silence isn't golden. It doesn't signify agreement. It signifies deafness. It signifies that the leader is not listening. The more powerful a leader, the higher his profile, the more likely he is to trust his own judgment, and less likely to value the opinions of those who are less powerful or influential. The more difficult the decisions, the more high-level subordinates with opposing views can appear to be enemies instead of a source of good information and strategy. This, I wrote this, actually. I'm not, I didn't plagiarize this off of the, the web. Um, they are uh, very likely to keep your, your subordinates and the people that are on your team, including your wife or your husband, are more likely to keep their opinions to themselves even when their opinions are in, informed or they know that, that it's right. They're less likely to, to cross the void and to talk to you about it. So can I just talk about, just for one brief minute, it, it, I know that I'm applying this to a lot of different leadership positions, but the heart of a home is a husband and a wife most of the time, some of the time, I should say. It should be a team that works together. But unfortunately, especially in uh, evangelical Christian circles, sometimes there's not as much value on both members of the covenant. Now, a man has his role and a woman has her role. His role is what? To dominate and make commandments, right? (laughs) 
what is his role? His role is to serve. That's his role. Last week I talked about strength to serve. Guys, that's your role is to serve. Peter says, treat your wife as if she is a weaker vessel, understanding that she's a weaker vessel. Listen to me. All of the most valuable vessels are delicate. It doesn't mean they're not worth anything. Weaker does not mean less valuable. And it does not mean that they don't have as as important or more important a role as you do in a family. And if you're thinking that your job is just to dominate and make commandments and tell it this is the way that it's going to be, you are missing out and you are, you, are, you, are in, you are becoming deaf to the voice that God would put in your life to give you wisdom and understanding that you don't have. And leaders are prone to that, especially when they're successful. They begin to trust their own judgment, and they begin to listen less and less to other people, but especially to people that disagree with them. And to make good decisions, leaders have to have information. And not just information, but wisdom to know what to do with that information. And if people are withholding information from you, you are not going to be a good leader, and you will not build a house that will stand as effectively as if you listen Oftentimes it means intentionally seeking out opinions that are or may be opposed to your own opinion. You have to make the effort to get people to talk to you and to say things they might not, you might not want to hear. God's will can sometimes be difficult and troubling, but ignoring what God's will is doesn't change anything. And God can use anybody who's willing to hear. There's a place of humility that we have to come back to over and over again, often. We're going to be faced with different situations that we come into them knowing that we're not really perfect at that or we're not really schooled at that or we're not really experienced at that. And every one of those times, God wants us to come to him in a state of humility like Solomon did, like Solomon began his his reign. Many of the most well-known characters in the Bible were powerless in themselves. But armed with the truth and a willingness to courageously act on it, they prevailed despite their lack of stature. So here's the conclusion. First of all, I just want to ask you a series of questions, okay? First of all, are you willing to admit your inadequacy to God and to others? And I think sometimes... Admitting it to others is uh, the hard part. If you're a husband, admitting it to your wife. If you're a wife, admitting it to your husband. If you're a pastor, admitting it to your associate pastor or your people. Um, If you're, you know, if you're the leader of a company, um, you know, admitting that you don't know everything. Admitting that. There's something that opens people up to receive from other people. Humility does. There's there's something that makes people want to talk to you, want to draw close to you, want to help, is admitting that. I'm not talking about a pity party. I'm not talking about beating yourself up. I'm talking about saying what everybody else already knows about you anyway, you know. It's like it's not some kind of big secret, you know. But when you admit it, then they can say, yes, you know, there is some things that I would like to talk to you about or some questions that I would like to ask you, right? You think that's uncomfortable, I'll tell you what, living with the consequences of being ignorant and deaf are way worse than the consequences of people speaking into your life, saying things that you might or might not want to hear. Second question is, what is the final authority in your life? What is your source of information? What's the final authority in your life? What's the final authority, um, source of wisdom uh, in your life? Because the beauty of Having access to wisdom is you don't have to make mistakes. You can do it right the first time. You know what I'm talking about. So you got a headlamp out on your car. What do you do? You could take it to the shop and get it fixed, or you could do what we now do every day. What would you do? Google it. Look it up on YouTube. And they got people that do it all the time. Or you could sit there saying, oh, I can do this myself and mess it up and have to buy something else or Something like that. You just access that wisdom, right? 
And the Word of God is like that all the time. He's always walking you through. Not just the facts, but the heart that goes behind that. The Word of God. The preceding and the revealed Word of God. The revealed Word of God is, is something that there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. I mean, I don't care how you're reading the Bible, just read it. Sometimes you dig real deep into stuff. Sometimes you'll spend days on just a Scripture passage. And sometimes you'll be reading, like I, I am now because I'm reading through the Bible in a year, um, a five, what was it, six, today it was six um, chapters of Isaiah. You know, And that's what I'm doing. So I know that I'm not getting everything that there is in there, but I'm getting familiar with everything that there is in there. That's good too, right? Just spend time in the Word. Just make it a regular part of your life. And listen, not just spending time in the Word, but subject yourself to it. When you open it up, say, I am subject to this Word, and I expect this Word to speak to me. It's not just some opinion. It's God's opinion. And I'm subject to it. And I'm placing myself under the authority of it. How does a young man find his way? Right there, man. Right there. How does a young man chart his course? Right there. Right there. The revealed Word of God and then the preceding Word of God. If you'll seek God every day, you'll be amazed at how often He speaks to you in ways that you never anticipated. He'll speak to you directly. He'll speak to you through other people. Like you'll read an obscure scripture and then that day you'll turn on the radio and that scripture will be in a song or something like that. Or a friend of yours will mention it in passing. Or you'll turn on a, a sermon and the guy will be preaching on that passage. How many times has that happened to you? How does that happen? It only happens because God is engineering this whole thing if, you're, if you'll let Him. It only happens because you're on a journey and He is walking with you right along the way, salting and seeding your path to prepare you for things and to, to teach you through things. The Word of God, and then the next question that I have is, who has the right to speak truth to you? Who has the right to speak truth to you? And it shouldn't just be one person. It should, and if, if you're a part of the body of Christ, it should be the whole body of Christ has the right to speak truth to you. Because if it's truth, it's the Lord. Right? If it's truth, it's the Lord. If it's their opinion, that's not necessarily the Lord. But if you're a part of the body of Christ, you'll begin to see people with wisdom. You'll have access to people with wisdom. Who has the right to speak into your life? If you're, if you're a young man or a young woman right now, I'm telling you, man, build those relationships because you're going to need them. Build those relationships. I don't have to be a prophet to tell you, you will go through difficult times and you will be overwhelmed and you will be over your head. And you will need these relationships. You build those in times of peace because you can't build them when you're in the middle of the battle. So you build those relationships and you seek them out. And listen, if you're an older, seasoned saint, man or woman, Seek out those relationships with other people as well. Because I'm, I'm not too old to tell, I mean, I'm not too proud to tell you that I'm still learning things the hard way. I'm still going through difficult times that I have to call up a brother and, and say, hey man, here's what I'm going through. I, do you have any input? Do you have any, any advice? Build those relationships in a time of peace because you're going to need them in a time of conflict. And it'll be too, it'll be too late at that point to do that. We, we do God a disservice, we do Jesus Christ a disservice by underestimating the power and the uh, value of His body and what He does here. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in the midst of His people. And if, we, if we're just coasting along building surface relationships, we are not valuing the body of Christ the way that God wants us to. Solomon, Solomon warns us against most of the things that capture our attention of our culture. He's, he's really good because he lived it. He did it. He pursued those things. What, 3,000 3, years ago? You know? But the things that he pursued are the same things that our culture pursues today. Wealth, fame, power, 
all of those things. He began asking God for wisdom, and that's what God wants us to do as well. That's where he wants you to be today, to build a house that will stand. If the Lord doesn't build it, man, we're working in vain. Even if we built it, it's empty. It's not, it's not full of the presence of the Lord. But even if we struggle and God is in it, it's going to be rich and it's going to be blessed. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, worship for a minute. If you, if you have uh, prayer needs this morning, you come and uh, we want to pray for you. I know that God has drawn you here for a purpose today and I know that he's speaking to you. And uh, I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to respond to that. If there's something that's stirring in your heart or something that he's convicting you of, do business with him here. Now, don't wait till you get home or till you get out in the car, okay? And by the way, if you came to church today and you left your troubles in the car, don't do that, okay? God has drawn us to himself with all of our dirty laundry and everything else. This is the place to do it, okay? So let's spend some time worshiping him and spend time in his presence. Let's stand together. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Just pray it out. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh, God, how I need you, and I God doesn't want you looking back, okay? He wants you looking forward. No matter where you are today, He has a way forward to do that. 
He has a way to take a house that may have been on a shaky foundation and put it on a firm foundation. And the first thing to admit is that you need Him today and that you need the body of Christ and that you need godly wisdom and counsel. He'll take you from wherever you are to where He wants you to be. That's His desire, okay? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank You today for Your wisdom, Lord, and You give it so freely. And Lord, You minister it so personally to us. Thank You, Lord, for godly relationships uh, in the body of Christ, Lord, that You haven't left us on our own, Lord. Um, You haven't left us as orphans, but You put us into a family, God. Um, Thank You for the rich amount of experiences there are just represented in this room, Lord, um, of, of Your faithfulness and Your wisdom and understanding through the years. And I pray that each one of us would be taking full advantages of that. We don't want to be like Solomon, Lord, and experience all the vanity of life. We want to be able to experience the full and rich life that You have for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for everybody here, not that we go back, Lord, to try to correct all the problems, oh Lord, but that by Your grace You help us to be able to go forward, Lord, to stand upon the rock and to build our our house, Lord, from this point on, on the solid foundation. And just thank You for that in Jesus' name. God bless you and your i